0: Welcome to this week's edition of America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noon, Executive Director of Energy Makes America Great and the companion educational organization, the Citizens Alliance for Responsible Energy. And each week I write an energy-themed column. I address a variety of issues, but this week my column addresses wind power or wind turbines. The column is titled, Who Wants Wind Turbines? You can find my column every week on popular websites such as townhall.com, Breitbart.com, and the American Spectator at spectator.org. In my column this week, I tell a very brief portion, a little segment, of a story of a gentleman in Minnesota whose home is surrounded by wind turbines. Now, he didn't build his home in the middle of an industrial wind uh, plant. They put the turbines around his home. And so Dan Lungrood is here to tell us his story about what it's like living surrounded by wind turbines. So, Dave, I'm sorry I called you Dan there, but uh, appreciate your patience and uh, – I don't know where I came up with that, except for maybe, there, well, we won't even go into where I got your name mixed up in between the time we, we called in together here. But, Dave, thanks for joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. You bet. So tell us, as I said, you you didn't just choose to build a home in the middle of wind turbines. Is that correct? No. Um, my wife and I bought
1: a 110-year-old farmhouse on 18 acres of some of the nicest Oak trees you've ever seen and it's a great location you know and um our plan was we we're going to refurbish it and we're about seven to eight miles from the nearest big city which uh the doctors can can travel for emergency calls so right. we kinda went o- yeah we went over the top uh completely refurbishing this and and uh doing some add-ons and and built a 6,000-square-foot heated shop and, and you name wow. it. W- with the thought being, as soon as our kids were out of high school, we were going to sell it and use this to, you know, as our retirement, basically. So and, Yeah, you're egg. Like, yeah, yeah. And, uh, we, uh, you know, we did this to a couple other houses to get to this point, you know. Okay. And, and uh, and we, uh. It's a very nice setting, very nice so but it all got kind of changed in a hurry about five years ago.
0: Okay, and so what happened what 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 brought about the wind turbines surrounding your property? well there there's talk
1: that you know we didn't own enough land to have them on our property, so we were kind of catching the tail end of everything, but where we live is all farming community and so, like right directly to the west of me, I got fifteen I can see. So one farmer fifteen has, wind turbines you can see. Oh yeah, easily. Yeah, and and so the one farmer on his piece of land has six of them. You know, so I, I I think they're getting five six grand a rent each wind turbine. You know, so they're making some okay, you know, pretty decent money. You know, and that's an annual figure. Correct. Okay. So, you know, we knew they were going on, and we were just all kind of left out of the loop, and then all of a sudden, you know, it was, it was, I, they were putting them up. And so I, they sent out preliminary maps, and I'm like, well, you know, they're not, they're kind of a little ways from our house, and I thought, well, there, there's no way I could stop it, you know, it's just, anything we would say, it would not matter. So, kind of rolled with it. Well, they we started construction, and they didn't put them not even close to where they were described on the map. You know, so I have one as close to the property line as they allow, and I still, I still think when the when the wind is facing now that it was coming from the south to the north, the wind blades are way over the distance. You know, according to my too close to my house uh-huh really close so um you know but i went out there and talked to the guys. they said well, you know this isn't where this is supposed to gonna go so i'm i'm one guy standing against 25 you know it's like well keep digging but they just kind of pushed everything through so and, the, and, what and the one guy said the one guy said if you don't like like the looks of them maybe maybe they could be painted blue to blend in with the sky and i'm like thinking you know that's not very cool yeah
0: you know it's funny that, that it's funny that they are all white none of them are blue so obviously right. that's that was a, a silly answer but what brought about all of this push toward this in the first place i have no idea it was so you weren't involved in that I mean I understand no. it's it's the government policy, the state policy in in Minnesota
1: nothing I we didn't we didn't really hear a lot about it till all uh-huh. of a sudden till all of a sudden all of a sudden they're there in your out. backyard
0: yeah yeah so and by the then people, there was no way you could stop it no, no and I think the
1: people that were signed up to have them on their land knew knew a lot of stuff, you know, but we didn't, you know, we didn't, we didn't know anything. Now,
0: do you, do you know that there's anyone that has them on their land that has had some of the health impacts you've had, which I mentioned in my column, and we haven't discussed that here yet, so we'll have to get to that, but do do you know, are there anyone that has these wind turbines on their land that regrets it?
1: Almost everybody. Really? Yeah, and they, you know, they're getting their checks. Every year, and they're not going to say it, but I know several of them. They submitted uh-huh. and never ever did it.
0: And and uh, do they have some of the health impacts that you and your wife are having? Yeah. Because I'm in I'm in upstate New York at the moment, and earlier today I was on someone's property, and they have a beautiful piece of property. They have about 24 acres, and from mm-hmm. their home they can see 16 wind turbines. From their home, I mean, anywhere you look, any direction away from their home—north, south, east, west—it doesn't matter. And they—they uh, they have wind turbines.
1: Right, I, that, I feel bad for them.
0: I'm
1: I I per, I basically pretty have them all to the west of me, the west and the north. You know what I mean? And and we have some, you know, to the northeast. But uh, I guess I'm fortunate because then I wouldn't get the flickers. On sunrise, but the flicker when it, you're trying to watch a nice sunset is just crazy, you know. Yeah, and
0: that's what those these folks were telling me about today. So, for the people that are listening that have not experienced that, experienced that, can you explain to us what flicker is? Well, it's it's when when the turbines are are faced
1: wherever you know, like east or west, and the sun's setting.
0: Well, when they're between bla- you and the sun when be- exactly. whenever wherever they are if
1: they're between you and the sun exactly so the sun's in the in the west of them it makes a shadow and the shadow goes across everything the buildings the trees the houses in through your windows and you can't you can't watch tv i mean it's in it and it starts driving you, it gives you a headache you know it's it just I, I would have never guessed, and I I emailed you some some footage uh, that I've been taking, you know. Even inside my shop, it's just Uh-huh. crazy. That it's so I don't think anybody are, even thinks about that
0: aspect of them. Now, when you try to tell this to the to your commissioners, to whoever your departments are in Minnesota that you report these sort of things to. Did they believe you? What kind of response are you getting? You know, we're just starting to get to that stage. Um, the, the windmill
1: company, Bentry, put, uh they paid for um, blinds to be put in their house, you know, but still you pull all the blinds and you feel like you're in jail, you know, basically. Uh-huh. So they tried to address it, but uh, still it's not good enough.
0: What other health impacts are is your family having? Well, we're, we're having
1: problems with our sleeping. You know, we can't uh-huh. get a we can't get a, a a decent night's sleep, and so then you start getting run down. and You just kind of feel like you're in a fog. Um, my wife's been having problems with this vertigo. You know, as far as feeling dizzy and this and that, and uh, we go away on the weekends over to. Uh, a boat we have, and we sleep like babies, and 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 we feel really refreshed after. And get that, caught up that. on your sleep. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and what the noise? And we can hear we can hear them in our house when we're trying to fall asleep at night. You know, we can hear them.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And it almost sounds like the oceans. I just pretend like I'm in San Diego on a oceanfront property. <laughs> like, yeah. But I guess, I guess the big thing that everyone is afraid to address is the subsonic noises. You know, I don't know if you've been br- brought up to speed on any of this or not, but that's. I'm
0: that's, familiar with it. I'm certainly no expert on it, but I am familiar with it.
1: That's what's messing. That's what's. That's what's messing with your body is all the subsonic noises. You know, because the wavelength is. is is, is very uh, long and narrow, so it penetrates the buildings and the houses, and that's what that's what affects your body, and that's what they don't want to have come out, but um, we're trying, you know.
0: Well, I appreciate it, and you're talking with me on, here today on America's Voice for Energy as part of trying to get that word out, and I know you're not alone um, in these concerns, We've just got about two minutes left, Dave, and, uh, you know, what's happened to the property values of your home and those of your neighbors?
1: Well, it's, uh, you know, there's studies out there showing that that the property decreases 30 to 50 percent when these wind farms go in, okay? So you'd really have to love these windmills to buy this place. You know, I'll never, I'll never, no one in their right mind would buy it, looking at these things, you know. So, I, you know, we're, we're stuck. We had no say in any of this, and, and we'll never be able to get rid of this. We'll never have a good night's sleep anymore, you know. It, it just, it, I feel like our rights were violated big time.
0: That feels so hopeless. Well, yeah, it's,
1: you know. The other option would be just to, when the kids go, just give it back to the bank, you know. I'd like to have the, the wind farm buy it. Yeah, but, you'll, but you'll that's not likely. That. You'll never see that happen, you know. There's, they have so much money, you know, I they won't even mess with us. And with, that's why we're just trying to be a little squeaky wheel, just keep keep we're we're getting some people to listen to
0: us a little bit you know at least it's such a shame that this is such a fight it's such a fight to have these concerns heard well
1: you know when they before they got put up a flyer got put in my door and it said exactly what went on about what's going to happen and it was someone that used to live by a wind farm like this. You know what I
0: mean? Uh-huh. uh uh-huh. not stop it. You know, everything yeah. was true. It was too far along by then. Dave, we're out of time. I appreciate your sharing your story with us, and I hope, folks, that you'll stay tuned with us for our next segment, where we're going to be talking with Dan Engert, who is a, a commissioner or supervisor in the town of Somerset, New York, and he's fighting wind farm projects coming into his town, so it's a perfect segue to continue on from Dave's comments uh, to, to Dan's comments. And so, so, Dave, thanks for joining us today and sharing your story on America's Voice for Energy.
2: Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. This is Dr. George from Peachtree e and Center. We've won patient care awards and have the highest patient recommendations because we believe in practicing medicine the old-fashioned way. Practicing good medicine is based in listening to the patient and making a care plan that is individual. The best medical care is given when there is a strong doctor-patient relationship built on mutual trust and respect. At Peachtree ENT Center, we believe in taking care of the whole patient because healing is more than writing a prescription. Whether you have problems hearing have frequent throat or sinus infections, from the time you call our office and speak to a real person, you will be treated as an individual and not as an ailment. During your visit, you will not be rushed, and all your questions will be answered. When possible, natural treatments will be recommended to fix the problem. If surgery is recommended, cost-effective minimally invasive treatment for snoring, sleep apnea, or sinus problems will be offered because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts.
3: You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
0: Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. This week we're talking about wind energy. My column's topic is, Who Wants Wind Turbines? And I can tell you that our next guest is going to share with us that in the town of Somerset, New York, they do not want wind turbines. Dan Ingert is our guest, and he is the supervisor for the town of Somerset, New York. So, Dan, thanks for joining us today to share us what's happening in your community and your state in the way of wind energy.
3: Oh, My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So
0: tell me what's happening uh, at the state level. You've got Governor Cuomo, who's, I believe, really committed to green energy. What's his policy?
3: Well, that, that's, uh, I would say, an understatement. He is uh, definitely, uh, for a number of reasons, very much committed to this. Uh, this lobby uh, in New York is a very uh, powerful one. It's a very um, influencing one. And uh, he has recently, um, you know, been very much uh, in favor of a, um, he, he calls it the most aggressive renewable um, build-out agenda in the country. He refers to it as such. Um, but he is targeting and setting goals in New York for fifty uh, percent renewable um, energy generation by the year 2030 and now that's uh, that the same
0: as california that's the same as California so New York and California are going to be competing for the most expensive energy prices in the country
3: oh. well that's 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 great news <laughs> 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 uh, it's uh you know it, it really and, and and you know when when that announcement came out uh sometime maybe in the last year or two that that really you know enticed the market um you know that that's when uh we began to uh, feel the impacts of the wind developers uh out of state wind developers for the most part in fact uh, some in, in some areas of the state are not even uh from the united states they're they're spanish firms but in any event um, they just came in droves uh, all throughout New York State and started proposing uh, turbine projects. And and uh, the one in Somerset um, is called the Lighthouse Wind Project. It's a 202 megawatt proposed project. Um, and and that's the other uh, point. This 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 renewable agenda that they have set. What it what it really did was. Um, not only were these turbine projects being proposed, but they were being proposed in large uh, megawatt uh, numbers. Uh, you know, no longer were we seeing, um, you know, small projects. Uh, there was one a couple of years ago that was in uh, along Lake Erie um, shoreline. There was, I think, nine or ten turbines. We'll never see another project like that in New York under this current uh, agenda because really? these, uh, the way the subsidies are set up. Uh, yeah, they're coming in at, at 200 to 400 megawatt projects. I mean, massive projects. There's a couple. So your go- down, go- your governor
0: doesn't want any little projects. He only wants big ones.
3: They want big ones. Uh, they they yeah. want to get to this 50 percent as fast as possible. Um, and and it's really you know it's 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 unfortunate because uh, the law in in New York State um, was recently uh, changed. It's called Article Ten. Um, and Article 10 was adopted in 2012, and uh, essentially um, it stripped uh, home rule away from local communities uh, to make decisions about what's right and good for their, their communities. And And it really draws right back to, you know, simple zoning as far as I'm concerned, and communities do not have the final say in these projects. They have...
0: But, uh, but look, can I, can I interrupt you for just a sec, Dan? But with mm-hmm. this Article 10, this doesn't apply to oil and gas drilling. So if a community in New York, which I know there are many, who want to drill for, na- for natural gas, who want to use fracking, they can't, enga- they can't say, but we want this, even though, Governor Cuomo, you don't. But when it comes to wind energy, Governor Cuomo says you must have this and you can't say you don't want it,
3: yeah essentially and i I'm, I'm not too familiar with you know the the natural gas and the drilling uh, aspect of it, but you know right. essentially article ten it, 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 it's you know any any uh, energy generation um, project that exceeds twenty megawatts uh, falls under and is regulated under under Article ten. And essentially, uh, Article 10, uh, so whether it's wind, whether it's solar, whether it's uh, whatever generation source it is, if it's greater, if the project's greater than 20 megawatts, it's going to be cited under Article 10. In Article 10, um, essentially, um, the decisions are made by a siting board. Uh, five members are seated um, on, this, on this board um, permanently, and then there are two ad hoc committee members who are appointed uh, in a very strange manner um, as the local represent- representatives. So, five of the members are appointees of the governor. Uh, they include the uh, the chair of the um, Department of Environmental Conservation, the DEC, um, the chair of the Department of Health, uh, the chair, the commissioner of NYSERDA, which is our um, Energy Research and Development Authority. Um, and then there's two other, uh, the, chair, the the commissioner of the Public Service Commission, and there's one other. Uh, but they're essentially all appointed by the governor, and uh, these are the, the permanent so members.
0: So, therefore, assu- it's assumed that they will do the governor's bidding. A-
3: absolutely. A- absolutely. Okay. Um, no question. Now, the local representative, it's a very interesting process because Article 10, um, the town supervisor nominates four individuals, the um County legislature, um, the cha- either either the chair of the county legislature or the county manager, uh, depending on what type of county government we have, that entity nominates four individuals, and the um, vice president pro tem of the New York State Senate makes a selection of those eight names that are submitted, and the Speaker of the Assembly, the other side of the chamber, makes the other uh, selection. It, it's just a very bizarre. Uh, format, but that essentially is the local representative, um, and that is the voice of the community um, on on this Siting Board. It, mm-hmm. it, it, ironically, in our situation, it um, this project expands into another town, which also expands into the adjacent county. Uh, Article 10 doesn't contemplate for that. So this project, for example, is uh, proposed to because they haven't. Uh, determine the final siting of the turbines, nor the size of the turbines, and that's a whole other um, very frustrating part of this whole process for my community is this developer um, operates in a very uh, secretive manner um, throughout this and doesn't disclose these types of things. But in any event, what they have disclosed is that minimally 75% of the project will be sited in my town, the town of Somerset, and at the most 25% will be sited in the adjacent town of Yates. Um, but Article 10 doesn't contemplate there be any, you know, representation equally or um, to scale of what the impact is for a community. So they basically made a selection, uh, um, the Assembly made a selection from the eight contingents uh, appointments and uh, the, uh, the Senate side made their uh, representative from our side. So it's, you know, my community is very frustrated with the, um, you know, with basically the lack of, you know, control that it has. We've conducted numerous uh, surveys in our town, um, uh, you know, and, and, and consistently um, we get, um, well, first of all, we have a high rate of participation. Uh, 60% of our residents participated in a written survey, which, you know, anyone in the marketing business will tell you is a phenomenal, uh, unbelievable yeah, uh, participation rate. Uh, so 60% of my town um, completed this written survey. And it, 67%, um, you know, do not want this project in, in the town. Uh, 67% strongly opposed to the project in this town, I should say. So it, it is very frustrating um, in New York. Um, you know, the, uh, um, the developers, you know, operate very, um, very much with the anticipation that um, they aren't going to deal with the local community um, they do everything they can to avoid dealing with the local community because they just want to get to the, uh, the Siting board and have these decisions made by, um, governor appointees. So we're, um, you know, we're in the midst of a, you know, of a, of a battle of sorts here. Um, you know, at every turn, you know, I am doing everything I can to make sure that the voices of my community are heard. Um, you know, we've, uh, um, there's a very lengthy process that goes along with this, um, starting with a. Uh, Public involvement plan period. Um, I will also say it's very expensive uh, for a town, particularly a town that um, is not, that that has a great deal of concerns from its constituents, which my community does. We have uh, raised a significant uh, amount of concerns over uh, number one, you know, the selection of our town for uh, siting for this project. Uh, We are um, right situated along. The uh, Lake Ontario, uh, the southern shore of the Lake of Lake Ontario, um, it, a significant predatory uh, flyway um, in the in the northern hemisphere. Um, so there's a there's a great deal of concern uh, from my community it, with respect to the impact that's going to have on um, birds and uh, migratory birds and the uh, uh-huh. eagles. We have a significant population. In fact, one of the largest. Um, Uh, advocacy organizations for uh, birds in the country the american bird conservancy abc out of washington dc actually cited the the lighthouse project as one of the 10 uh, worst cited um, wind turbine projects in the world Um, we made the list and we are and we are one of um i think there's five but yet
0: yet the state government is is hell-bent on putting it in there
3: yeah, at this, at this point, that that's what the appearance is from, from my perspective and from my community's perspective, yes. Uh, that's, that, that's that's true.
0: So, Dan, I you can know, talk there's... to you all day about this, but we're down to about two minutes left, a little less than two minutes left. So what do you think is going to happen in this battle?
3: Well, I, I think that at some point, um, you know, what I'm involved in right now is uh, reaching out to other communities throughout the state. I have a Colleague in the uh, in the North Country area, and at some point, uh, very soon, and and uh, I, I don't want to announce it specifically yet, but w- there are, the towns are going to stand up for themselves, and we're going to take on New York State. That is what's going to end up having to happen here, and we're going to challenge the uh, the constitutionality of New York State um, usurping home rule, stripping home rule from local communities, and uh, you know that that's essentially where I think that this will probably uh, end up going. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's just not right that a, um, um, a state government uh, can come into a small town in New York State and tell its community what's right and what's good for it, and uh, the community has no say over it. And, uh, you know, I, I'm prepared to, uh, you know, defend the, the rights of the te- citizens of Somerset um, to make decisions uh, for itself uh, in the realm of, of uh, you know, this wind and this renewable agenda. And, um, you know, we'll have to see what, uh, what the result is. But we intend to defend those rights uh, right to the end.
0: Well, it's, it's, it's amazing that uh, they're, the governor is so uh, insistent on pushing this agenda so aggressively. And uh, are you finding that the majority, and we just have a few seconds left, but you're, you're finding that other communities are, are joining with you in this?
3: Uh, the common theme is that communities do not, regardless of what the, a community feels about renewable, the agenda of the governor, what is very uniting to uh, the towns across the state is that uh, home rule should still prevail. Towns should, you know, if the governor wants these things uh, in the New York state, then he should direct the developers to select communities, who are open to this type of project and want this type of project, and if you can find those communities, then you know that that's that's a whole different sort story. But what's uniting yeah. is that you know these are not wanted, and uh, and and local communities should have a say about whether or not they they're going to be cited there.
0: Well, Dan, I appreciate you taking your time. We've been talking with Dan Ingert tonight, supervisor of the town of Somerset. New York, and I appreciate you sharing your story with us here today on America's Voice for Energy.
3: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Dan. We'll be right back on America's Voice for Energy.
3: This is Doug Dahlgren of the Prologue. America's Web Radio offers a wide variety of programming that will keep you interested and entertained throughout your week. There are shows about medicine and your health, energy issues, antique cars, our constitution, vegetables and gardening, politics and opinion business issues and legal matters like drones and how they can affect your life on fridays at 11 a.m you can listen to my show the prologue with a new author and a book i just know you'll want to read the good news is if you miss a show they're all archived and available in podcast form when you're ready to listen as often as you like so stay tuned won't you to america's web radio and add to the enjoyment of your day
4: Thank you.
3: You're listening to America's com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
0: Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. This week we're talking about wind turbines and for specifically some of the kind of unintended consequences that our government policy has created in effort to stimulate renewable energy. And one of those policies is something that's known in the industry as PERPA. Perhaps you've heard of it, I'd heard of it. And as much as I follow energy issues, well I had heard of PERPA I didn't really know what it was, what it stood for, what it represented, until I read an article in the spring issue of Energy Biz Magazine. And there was an article about PERPA, and lo and behold, it was about wind turbines, and so I tied it in to my column this week. Uh, wh- who wind turbines, which, of course, you can find on Breitbart.com and TownHall.com and American Spectator at Spectator.org, just to name a few. In that column, I was introduced to a gentleman by the name of John Rainbolt, who is Federal Affairs Chief for Alliant Energy. And he was explaining the problems with PERPA. So, of course, I invited John to join us today on America's Voice for Energy. So, John, thank you so much for joining us, and I appreciate you making yourself available to help me and everyone else out there better understand PERPA and what it is. So can you, uh, like, start by telling us what does PERPA stand for?
4: Well, Marina, first off, I'd like to say thank you for the opportunity uh, to, to be on your show today. Uh, PURPA stands for the Public Utility Regulatory Policy Act of 1978. And I th- the reason why 1978 is important is because this law was enacted uh, f- almost 40 years ago. And essentially it was enacted because back in the late 70s we had a pretty big oil crisis, uh, especially yeah. especially with the Middle East, and the law's goal was essentially – to try to incentivize renewable generation, because at that time, uh, power generation—believe it or not—was uh, was powered about 20% of it was uh, powered by oil fire generation. And really, that, absolutely. And so that's, now, that. Yeah, I didn't that was, realize
0: yeah, that, and I cite a figure all the time when I talk about this, and I say, you know what? One of my standard kind of talking points is ask anyone why we should go to renewables, and one of the answers they will always give you is it's because we need to get off of Middle Eastern oil. And I always say, energy, you know, Middle Eastern oil and renewable energy, primarily wind and solar, have absolutely nothing to do with uh, oil because only 1% or less than 1% of our electricity generation today comes from oil. But truly, I didn't know that 40 years ago, that high a percentage of it. So back then, there actually was a connection.
4: Yeah, back there when there was a connection. But, you okay. know, you know the, the reality is purple was designed for a different era. You know, uh, yeah. the primary yeah. driver of the law, again, was, was oil-fired generation. And right now, 40 years later, you know, we're at a point in our, in our, in our country, and especially as, as energy companies, where we have these robust energy markets right now. And... The, the bottom line is PERPA hasn't been amended significantly, at least in the last decade, and a lot of elements from the 1978 law are still in effect. But the reason why – they're
0: irrelevant. They're still in effect, but they're
4: irrelevant. They're irrelevant they're relative to where we are in the market situation today. Uh, two-thirds of the country um, participates in, in organized energy markets where electricity is, is competitively bid. On the market, where uh, the, the goal of this effort is to ensure that we you know customers uh, basically get get the best deal uh, for their electricity costs uh, to keep it affordable, to keep it cost effective, and PERPA wasn't designed to do that. PERPA is designed essentially, and, and the reason why electric uh, companies are 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 having issues with it today, especially my company, is because there's a mandate in that law that requires Uh, utilities to purchase power from what we call qualified facilities. Essentially, a qualified facility is a small power producer. Even if the power is not needed, utilities still have to purchase that power. And that's an important thing because, as I mentioned, the energy markets have evolved where you have competitive bidding and requests for proposals. And essentially, utilities have to take that power um, you, you don't really have an opportunity not to take that power, or do you, you really don't have the opportunity to negotiate on price. It's, it's, it's a must take provision of this law, and the reason why it impacts aligned energy specifically, especially in Iowa, is that we have essentially uh, qualified facilities that are using PERPA and the tenants of the, of the, of the, of the deal and these contract terms generally last up to 10 years, um, essentially we're, our customers are paying about 20-25% more for renewable energy than we can get on the market right now through a competitive bidding process. So if you compare wind energy to wind energy, market-based wind versus PERPA wind, um, the PERPA wind is not a good deal for our customers. And just another antidote there, Marita, is, is, you know, Alliant Energy largely represents, a, you know, a lot of small-town America, um, small towns, predominantly rural utility in Iowa and Wisconsin. And from an, from an economic perspective, uh, 25% of our customers make less than $25,000 a year per household. Wow, and, that, does, that but, does put it in perspective. So we're always looking for the, for the most cost-effective way to deliver electricity for our customers. And I think the point on PERPA is uh, to, to Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, FERC, and also to Congress is that it's time to reform the 40-year-old statute uh, to benefit our customers, to benefit the cost-effective deployment of renewable resources where the customers get the biggest bang for the buck.
0: And I think that's a really important thing to point out there because I believe there is a perception out there with the public that you utility companies are out there to screw uh, your ratepayers. And but the reality is you are trying to find for your ratepayers electricity at the lowest available cost. But government policy is forcing you into positions that. that the cost of electricity for consumers. Do I
4: have that correct? Yeah, you do. And, you know, I think, again, it it is about finding, you know, we exist to serve our customers. uh, And and it's about delivering uh, energy in the most cost-effective manner possible.
0: So help me understand or help our listeners understand how uh, PURPA was structured, what, what these qualifying facilities are, and then how it's being abused.
4: Sure. Happy to do so. So, you know, as, as I mentioned, PURPA, uh has a section of the law, Section 210, which is the mandatory purchase requirement. That's kind of the genesis of, of how utilities are required to, under the law, to purchase power uh, from qualified facilities. Now, what Congress did is they gave uh, FERC, um, and FERC obviously they regulate wholesale energy markets and also uh, to a very large extent uh, the statute of PERPA. Um, they they write the rules of the road. And uh, what we are trying to do, and we've worked with members of Congress, both in the, the Senate Energy Committees and also uh, the House Energy and Commerce Committee, we have an uh, upcoming uh, technical conference at FERC on June 29th where uh, there are going to be a host of, of witnesses. Where so you're
0: talking just in a couple weeks.
4: In just in a couple of weeks there will be an opportunity for electric companies and rural co-ops and um, a, a lot of the, the, uh, for the players in, in, in the energy markets to, to call for reform so that FERC can hopefully take what they get at this technical conference and make some, some positive change. Now, let me go back to the abuse here, because what some of these qualified uh, facilities are doing, in, in our service territory especially, is they, essentially there's a cap, Marita, there's a cap on Uh, the size limit for for qualified facilities, and that's 20 megawatts, okay? And so this this
0: was designed, in the law, this was designed to help little players participate originally. Is that
4: correct? Exactly. Little players, absolutely. And uh, obviously there was a reason for that, uh, you know, especially back in the day. And what Mm -hmm. we have is is we have abuses that that are essentially using FERC's rules, Um, where right now a utility cannot challenge um, many of the aspects of of these qualified facilities requiring utilities to take the power. And I'll give you a case in point. We have qualified facilities that are subdividing themselves into different corporate units, LLCs. So, for example, if you can visualize each wind turbine being a separate LLC uh, to try to keep under that, 20-megawatt cap, even though there's the same owner. But what yeah. ends up happening in our situation is that this owner is uh, essentially one big 60-megawatt project. So they've already violated the intent of PERPA there. And, again, this is a 25% you know, hit to our customers in terms of cost.
0: And let me jump in, if I may. So the reason they're doing this, breaking up one large project into several little ones with different names and being a certain distance apart, is because by doing that, they get this higher rate for their electricity, where if they were one big project, they would not get that higher rate. Is that correct?
4: Well, yeah. Essentially, you know, if there were about 20 megawatts, if they wanted to build and construct, then they would need to participate in the wholesale energy markets that I – reference earlier, that are very cost-competitive these days. But essentially, they are choosing to go through PERPA because, you know, it's a mandate for the electric company to purchase it. Um, They do so, it has to be done at favorable terms to the uh, qualified facility. And, you know, that translates into, from a dollar figure standpoint, about $17.5 million above market wind prices over the next 10 years to our customers. Yeah. So we feel that's an abuse. It's an abuse in the way that that, that the corporate structures align. It's an abuse from the standpoint of how they are uh, putting their uh, facilities just beyond one mile, and and FERC has has said uh, to utilities, uh, essentially you cannot challenge that, and uh, hence hence the problem. So we're hopeful at this technical conference that we'll be able to uh, convince FERC that reform is needed. They have a lot of authority, Rita, to, to, to address these abuses right now uh, through, through administrative actions, and, and we're hopeful that they'll see or align, you know, the evolving uh, renewable energy markets, um, and you know, to ensure that the we can help stop some of these abuses.
0: Yeah. We've got about 30 seconds left, John, and you've been great in explaining this. Uh, to quick questions A, what hope do you have for this technical conference coming out a couple up in a couple weeks And what should our listeners do? should they con- contact their representatives and senators? We're down to about 20 seconds.
4: 20 seconds. Well we I, I, were hopeful this is you know FERC essentially has not had a technical conference on this. Um, we're happy they're taking a deeper dive. We're happy also for the congressional support that has led to this technical conference. So I'd say for your listeners, yeah, st- stay tuned. Keep, keep on your members of Congress for uh, reforming PERPA. We need to do this for, for Americans uh, to ensure that cost-effective renewable energy is delivered in the best manner possible.
0: Great. We've been talking with John Rainbold who is the Federal Affairs Chief for Alliance Energy. Thanks so much for taking your time to join us today on America's Voice for Energy. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio.
3: Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, Support USJF as they support you. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear, in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
0: Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noonan. In this segment, I'm honored to have with me Congressman Ed Whitfield from Kentucky's 1st District. And he's one of the members of Congress who's involved in trying to reform PERPA. So Congressman, thank you so much for joining us today on America's Voice for Energy.
5: Well, thank you very much for that opportunity. Uh, we appreciate the great service that you're providing the American people, and, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to participate. <laughs>
0: Well, tell us why do you care about PERPA? We had a guest on in the last segment who explained to us what PERPA is and what it stands for. But why do you as a congressman from Kentucky care about this particular uh, 40-year-old piece of legislation?
5: Well, first of all, I think it's interfering with the regular market cycle, particularly as it relates to energy. And as you know, PERPA is sort of an artificial... Uh, act that was put into Congress that requires our big utility companies to buy power at higher than market prices for the purpose of providing incentives for the development of wind energy and solar energy and things like that. Sure, and and the problem is that it increases the cost, and these uh, wind industry and solar. Really, they would not be out there were it not for the production tax credits through the tax code and through the mandates to the electric generating company to buy power from them.
0: Yeah, they can't make it in a free market.
5: No, they can't make it in a free market. And so it creates an inequity, and as time goes on, it's becoming more and more of a problem uh, because of – I mean, there's so many ramifications of this. You're having to build additional electric generating uh, wires, transmission wires, to reach to the far depths of where some of these facilities are located. And it's costing a lot of uh, capital to the le- electric generating companies. And it's overall increasing the cost of electricity, which affects not only individual consumers. But it also impacts our ability to compete in the global marketplace, because uh, manufacturing plants and other industries are looking for the most economical power they can they can find to build and expand their existing loca- locations.
0: Yeah, you know, when we've got more expensive uh, labor costs here in America, cheap energy is one of the competitive advantages that we have over many other countries.
5: Well, it's certainly true. And, you know, we, we talk about energy. We, we're re- really talking about two aspects. We're talking about energy for, tra- for transportation. So we're talking about gasoline, oil, diesel fuel, things like that. And then yes. on the other side, we're talking about electricity production. And PERPA is really skewing uh, the electric generating cost in America.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned, Congressman, the wind turbines being in far remote places, which if we're going to have them basically is where they should be. I'm talking to you today. I'm in upstate New York and I was just touring someone's home, a small farm home. They've got 24 acres of farmland out in uh, this part of New York, and I stood in their yard, and from their house, they can see 16 different wind turbines from their one small country home. It's unbelievable.
5: Well, the sad thing about wind energy is that anyone that's been in the Palm Springs area of California from yeah, my mother lives there. Well, you know, from an aesthetic standpoint, it looks horrible. But worse than that, some of these wind uh, projects today, these things, some of them weigh up to 300 tons. And, 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 and they have to have, they take up such a large expanse of land in order to produce anything that really makes a significant difference that it's really a wasting of valuable natural resources. And uh, now let me just say this. There are uh, wind turbines being produced in some other countries that are like one-third the size of these gigantic ones that we have, and they are not as uh, as, uh, aesthetically uh, disturbing, and they are even... Uh, just as efficient, but for some reason, uh, the big wind companies that have been put together in the U.S. using this production tax credit and the requirements of PERPA are really skewing our system and making it much more expensive, and I'd, I'd like to also remind everyone that, you know, we have a Migratory Bird Act in America, and we also have a Golden Eagle and Bald Eagle Protection Acts. And when the British Petroleum Company had that big oil spill in the Gulf, the Department of Justice fined them $100 million for killing migratory birds, which was fine. But President Obama, through his Department of Interior, is exempting the wind industry from any liability for killing uh, any migratory birds and our bald or golden eagles.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that comparison between basically how that one industry gets such favored treatment while the oil and gas industry receives punishment for a far uh, smaller crime when we're talking about the birds I'm talking about, the amount of birds, uh, bats, golden eagles, bald eagles, as you pointed out, that are killed by the wind turbines, but that, that government just looks the other way and, as you said, extends their permit to kill them. Now back to PERPA for a moment, which is the Public Regulatory Policy or Public Utility Regulatory Policy Act. Uh, this bill was something that was passed 40 years ago, as you mentioned, in a different kind of energy era. What support do you see among your uh, fellow representatives for PERPA reform?
5: Well, I think I think that. It's one of those issues that we're going to have to build over time, but more and more people are looking at it and understand that it's outused its usefulness. So uh, Fred Upton and I and a few others, uh, I think Chairman Murkowski recently wrote a letter uh, to Perpa, I mean to FERC, asking them to do a review of Perpa as a first step of in the next Congress. Maybe trying to have some hearings and determine some of the inequities of PERPA and the fact that we need to reform it. So there are many members of Congress that are very much concerned about it, and I think you're going to see a growing, uh, a growing uh, segment of support to significantly reform it because it's outdated, it's not needed, <clears throat> and it's creating inequities in our energy markets.
0: Yeah, well, I'm pleased to hear that because it's a complicated thing. I think the average person out there, when if you were to mention PERPA, they'd look at you with glassed eyes like, you know, what are you talking about? So it's, it seems like something that might be difficult to get uh, grassroots support
5: for. Well, it is, but that's why you really have to explain that you're forcing certain utilities to buy power from other entities at higher-than-market prices and, and, you know, in America, we were built on a free enterprise system, and that goes yes. totally counter to the philosophy this country was built on.
0: Yeah, and that, that's the, that, therein lies the big problem with this as a regulation. I see that a lot of the policies, the energy policies that President Obama put in, that the high cost of those policies are just now beginning to be felt by the consumers. Uh, is that what you're seeing?
5: Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's going to be gone before the real impact of this is known. And and that's the problem. Think, yeah, that's the problem. And it's important for people also to understand that all of this, uh, not the purple aspect of it, but all of his regulations that are designed to facilitate additional production by wind and solar uh, have been have been regulated by his administration to make sure that the agreements that he entered into on behalf of the United States in Paris and in Copenhagen are fulfilled. So he's entering into the agreements unilaterally without any involvement by the U.S. Congress, or even consultation with Congress, and then once he enters into these agreements, then he gets his administration to issue regulations, and then because we can't get enough to override his vetoes, the only availability available to the American people to counter his policy is to file a lawsuit. And there are lots of lawsuits pending. It's very expensive. And thank goodness the Supreme Court issued a stay, against his clean energy plan, which he was going to have implemented this September had the court yes. not stopped it. So that's exactly what he's doing. He's doing this uh, He's using his administration through regulations to implement his unilateral agreements that he has made without consultation with the U.S. Congress.
0: Yeah, now, you know, you brought that up, the Supreme Court situation and the clean power plan. I, I, it's my understanding that while the Supreme Court ordered the EPA to not begin enforcing the Clean Power Plan, that is do, is doing so anyway. Is that correct?
5: Well, basically what they're doing, they're going to states that agree with them, like California, because, you know, California has some of the highest electricity rates in the country. Yes. And what yes. they're doing... Those states, uh, they're going on and trying to implement it anyway, but what EPA is saying, well, the states are doing this voluntarily. But let me just say to you, 27 states filed the lawsuits, so that's more than half the states have filed lawsuits, and there are others that don't agree. So there are some states proceeding with this, and unfortunately their constituents are really going to be hurt in the long run in many ways, in my opinion. Uh, but the majority of states uh, are not cooperating with this until a final decision is made by the courts.
0: Yes, and as you mentioned, we're already seeing the highest electricity rates in the country, or some of the highest electricity rates in the country in these states, that, right. such as California, that are going ahead with that. And PERPA is a part of that. PERPA, as you said, is causing uh, utility companies to have to buy. More expensive energy, and so I certainly appreciate Congressman your efforts uh, in in kind of leading the charge on perPA reform, and I will certainly do what I can to help you uh, Chairman Upton and uh, Senator Murkowski to know, lead that charge to make this change, because, as all of these policies are coming in, the consumers and of course, industry is being hit with these higher and higher uh, energy costs. We've got about thirty seconds left, Congress. And what do you want to leave with our listeners?
5: Well, I would just say this. you know the uh, President Obama always talks about the disadvantage in our society, and yet those people on fixed incomes, the elderly, they're being hit the hardest with these increased electricity rates. And so uh, thank you for bringing it to the attention of the American people about how PERPA does need to be reformed, and we do have a movement in Congress beginning to do exactly that.
0: Well, we appreciate it. Thank you so much, Representative Ed Whitfield from uh, Kentucky. Thank you for joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. And for all of our listeners, please remember to stay tuned next week for our next edition of America's Voice for Energy. Thanks for listening.
3: You're listening
2: to americaswebradio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.